you don't answer the table tonight. Don't you need everybody to move? If the ref gets in your way, you hear them? We ain't apologizing for nothing today. They'll take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? They'll take care of y'all mental. Welcome in to the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Palashotti. With me now and always, my boys, Kyle Settle and Devin Spawn. What's going on, fellas? Dude, I am jonesing for real-life football. Everything picked up, like, um, what, about a month ago now when the draft started and everything. We've got a few mock drafts knocked out. we got a few dynasty drafts knocked out. we got a best ball draft knocked out. And now, just nothing. I am so ready to turn on my television and watch adult men play football. <laughs> yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Seahawks podcasts this week and two guys and a girl podcast uh, with, you know, my, my guys, Marshall Miller and Mellow Miller and Paige. Uh, so this week is like more of a football week for me. And I'm like really excited to get my heart broken by the Seahawks every week. So yes. can't wait for that. Yeah, you better get comfortable. Long off season ahead, dude. Oh, too long. Yeah, when man. we finished, when we finished like twelve and five, and then you know, that's it's a never-ending cycle of, oh, football is awesome. I can't believe it's finally here. Then oh, it's over. How is it already February? Yeah, every May hits me like a ton of bricks. You look at the calendar and it's just empty space until August, and then August rolls around and we've overanalyzed every single player. It's just the greatest. We might have a little bit of. Uh action more than usual over the summer though with all the speculation of what's going to happen post june 1st julio jones and then oh yeah the speculation about roger i'm just ready for the speculation to end i don't even give a you know what anymore what happens as a <laughs> packers fan i just i want it to be over i'm so tired of hearing about it. i'm sure the rest of the world is just as over it as i am gotcha well as interesting as that is we're gonna move on time for some news ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention i've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! X-Street, X-Street, read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. There is no news. No. <laughs> There's nothing. There's literally nothing to we talk can, about. We could talk about all the things everyone's sick of. I'll knock it out in 13 seconds. Tim Tebow signed with the Jaguars. No guaranteed money. Aaron Rodgers has still not said anything, nor have the Green Bay Packers, other than we want him back. And Julio Jones most likely is getting traded this summer. But, hey, maybe not. That's the news. Did you see uh, Adam Schefter's tweet? Brett didn't because he doesn't have Twitter. Uh, that uh, Tim Tebow is the top si- top five selling jersey. Yeah. Every Tebow jersey is the number is the top five selling jersey. So women's, yeah. men's, all that. I, I don't even want to act like I'm a hater. Like I'm a Tim Tebow hater. Like not at all. Good for you, man. Go out there, live your dream. I'm a media hater when they say like this is the only thing you can report on. I've heard so many media personalities come out since the Tebow news broke like a month ago and talk about what their lives were like 10 years ago when he came in the league, how they were not allowed to leave on Friday without putting out like 10 team Tim Tebow stories for the week. And that was everywhere just because it got so many clicks. Everyone was swept up in Tebow mania. I can't imagine, like I would love to be a sports writer. I would love to be in sports media, but it's, it'd be something like that 
that constant pressure down your throat, hey, write more stories about Tim Tebow that would make me say, okay, I'm not having fun anymore. Could you, could you yeah, imagine same. being Tim Tebow and it's like, I finally got a chance to come back in the league and everyone is just saying that my coach is an idiot for giving me a shot. <laughs> like, I'm well, not Urban saying... Urban Meyer does look like an idiot. Yeah, I mean, this is the season of Urban Meyer getting absolutely destroyed in the media. And if this season doesn't look great or at least uh, look like Jacksonville's with a better trajectory... He's going to get smoked all year long by the media and end of the offseason. Obviously, I think he's still going to be the coach next year, whether they win two games or 12 games. But it's just like Tim Tebow's just there, just a dude trying to get a job. You know, he's got no guaranteed money coming yeah. in. He's just trying to make the team. And everyone's like, you know, just completely shitting on his head coach for bringing him in. It's just kind of funny to look at. What do you think has to happen for Urban Meyer to keep his job? What, what do you think needs to happen for Urban Meyer to keep his job longer than Trevor Lawrence's rookie contract? Because I don't think there's really much of a chance that by the time Lawrence signs his uh, first deal, that Urban Meyer still is head coach. I think they move on by then. I think that they're probably resigning him somewhere after year three, year four, if everything pans out. I think Urban Meyer's long out the door by then. What needs to happen? Uh, that's, that's an interesting question because – sorry for cutting you off, Devin. But it's like there's so many different things that can happen in context during a season – like, if you look back, like, this is going way back, but Marty Schottenheimer, when he was coaching the San Diego Chargers, mm-hmm. the guy went to the playoffs over and over and over again. I think he got fired after a 14-win season. It was 14-2 and two LT1 MVP yeah, they lost. That's insane. Like, so, and, yeah. no, and nobody was really surprised that he got fired. It was kind of like, uh, you know, they'd run, they'd run their course. And obviously, Urban Meyer doesn't have the clout that Marty Schottenheimer did at that point in his career in the NFL. So... You're looking at kind of apples to oranges, but in three years from now, we have no idea what could have happened during a season or an off season, or if he brings in another coach or strength coach with some off the field questions. Like, there's a lot of things in <laughs> Urban Meyer's past. On from them after the backlash. Yeah, there's a lot of things in Urban Meyer's past that you know I would think if he's out early, it's because of something like that happening. I think they're going to give him a long leash in terms of actual on field um, product that he's throwing out there. But what do you think, Devin? Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm the one that's an urban, urban supporter in the hire. I liked the hire. I think it's it's nothing like a new coach hire. It's a a guy who dominated college football at two different universities in two different big conferences. Um, obviously, he had his controversy controversy that followed him everywhere. But um, assuming the Jags continuously get more competitive, and if Lawrence is as good as we think he is. The Jags are going to be competitive, but if he keeps building the roster around Lawrence and they're doing the right things, in three years from now, if the Jags should be AFC South favorites, you'd think, if everything goes according to plan. If all of that happens, though, if Lawrence looks pretty good, but Urban is failing to put the right pieces around him, or you see coaches like Anthony Lynn or um, even this past year with Matt Rule, uh, teams just fail in certain situations, like two-minute drills, close games that they can't get the win. They're competitive, but they're not right. They're not quite there. If by the time you're looking to extend Lawrence and he's been great for you, but you're still not quite over that hump, then you have to move on from Irvin Meyer. Yeah. It's very John Gruden-esque to me, where a guy comes in, he's had success in the past on his second tour obviously Gruden had them both in the pros but Meyer's going to be doing from the college level to the pro level but 
sort of seems like they're giving complete control of the team. Meyer seems to be in charge of, obviously, his coaching staff, but personnel decisions as well. He seems to have a massive voice in, and that's not always a good thing. It's usually a good rule of thumb that the head coach is not your GM. You know, that you need those two roles yeah. separated. You need the on-field guy to focus on, with, on the on-field stuff. And I'm not saying they shouldn't communicate and coordinate when it comes to bringing in players through the draft and free agency, but you can't have a, a king on the throne, right? You need a democracy running a team. So There's only one place that works, Boston, Massachusetts. If your name is Bill Belichick, you can just literally do anything. Yeah, he's got the golden ticket for sure. Right, that's enough uh, Urban Meyer talk. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of our episode today. Hey, good, Devin. It's a shout out for you. Love it. So on today's episode, we're going to move into our second half of our dynasty running back rankings. God, that was hard to say. On episode three, we did the first half of our rookie rankings, which are as follows. We had McCaffrey, number one, Barkley, number two, Cook, number three, Taylor, four, Kamara, five, Chubb, six, Elliott, seven, Henry, eight. Jones, 9, Akers, 10, Eckler, 11, and Mixon, 12. So we had some good debate on those guys, but it was fairly chalk in my opinion. So we're moving on to number 13. Number 13. Number 13 is DeAndre Swift, and he is ranked number 13 by all three of us. So this shouldn't be too hard to break down. Kyle, you want to start us off on DeAndre Swift? Sure. I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and start singing his praises. DeAndre Swift. Had a decent rookie season last year. He, he really had just did most of his damage in the receiving game. Rushing-wise, he was splitting carries with Kerryon Johnson and Adrian Peterson. But obviously, if you've paid attention this offseason, neither one of those names are in the backfield. The only competition he really has for snaps anymore is Jamal Williams, who is a great complimentary back, don't get me wrong. But I think DeAndre Swift is every bit as talented as Aaron Jones was in Green Bay. He has much better draft profile coming out. Remember, DeAndre Swift was the highest touted rookie running back coming out. It wasn't until we got landing spots that other running backs started to come in front of him next year. You saw Jonathan Taylor go to the Colts with that great O-line. He bumped up. You saw Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at the end of the first round go to the Kansas City. He bumped up. So before the teams were assigned, it was all DeAndre Swift. He was leading the charge of this great running back group, and now he has a backfield that he should be the lead of, and I think he's probably in line for at least 60% of the carries out there. His work in the receiving game, 46 catches last year. I think that only goes up this year was he sees the field more. The problem last year was that he just didn't have the amount of carries. You need to be a workhorse. He had just 114 carries over 13 games. I think that number obviously goes up this year. The offense is going to be bad. But the offensive line did have some improvements this offseason. It should be a solid offensive line for him to run behind. And it's a team that's obviously most of us expect them to be trailing most games that they're in. I expect a lot of passes to the running back moving forward because they really didn't do much in the receiving game. I think it's going to be a two-man show with that offense. It's going to be TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift. Yeah, uh, Kyle cover kind of covered the analytical side of the DeAndre Swift take, and I'll cover the other side. Um, some I got some highlights for you. Last year, uh, week six, his first breakout game, he had 116 yards and two touchdowns against the Jaguars, though, who are 30th against the run, and overall just a terrible defense. He's actually the first Lions rookie since Barry Sanders. Um to have such a feat of over 100 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, week 10, he had 169 yards from scrimmage and a receiving TD uh, against the Washington football team. They're 15th against the run, but they were third against the pass. And Week 24 also had a really good game against the, in, against the Tennessee Titans. 80 yards from scrimmage, two touchdowns. Um, 4.6 yards per carry. Uh, he's 
patient runner. He's got good vision. He's not really a bruiser. He's not really elusive. Uh, yes, that team is very bad. The 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 uh, Lions are awful. Um, so it's kind of uncertain what's going to go on there. I think though, if they get a better QB, then his uh his production is just going to go up. I but like Kyle said, he's going to have more carries this year for sure. He's going to have more receptions for sure. Uh, Jamal Williams is a great complimentary back, but don't be um, shocked if you see Williams out there and DeAndre Swift lined up at receiver in the slot because yeah. he lined up a bunch in the slot last year for Lions. But, yeah, 13 is a pretty good spot for him. I wasn't a big DeAndre Swift guy uh, until this week. I did a lot more research on him, and I was like, you know, yeah, yeah, he's pretty, a pretty solid future. You liked him as a prospect, though, right? Yeah, when coming into the NFL, I thought he was a solid a solid player, and then he just got put in a weird situation mm-hmm. with Carryon and Adrian, and then he just kind of beats them, beats out all of them, but they love to give Adrian Peterson the ball so much still. Yeah, Gimli loved to give him the ball. I, I don't think that's going to be a problem with the new coaching staff. Remember, Anthony Lynn made Melvin Gordon a an RB1 just about every year of his career, and Austin Eckler was right there as well. So I, I'm excited to yep. see. I'm not a big Anthony Lynn fan as a football coach but as a fantasy coach i'd love to have him in charge of my backfield you guys brought up all the positives about deandre swift and i couldn't agree more but what my concern is especially in 2021 is the fact that he's probably going to face loaded boxes every game um with the threat of or lack thereof of jared goff behind center um, i don't think teams are going to be too afraid of their passing attack and their weapons are uh some of the worst in the league so when, when it comes to facing the Lions, are you not going to look at DeAndre Swift as uh, public enemy number one? You're going to load that box and try to stop him from running on you. I think that's going to be an area of concern for him in 2021, but he's so good and young. I think he can overcome that in 2021, but his future is what you know why I have him at 13. I think he has a super bright future, and uh, I think it's only going to get better for him from here on out. And he's a Philly guy, so uh, St. Joe's Prep alumni. Um, my old high school, so shout out DeAndre Swift. Love to see him here at 13 overall, and I think we're all in uh, in lockstep on this one, so let's move on. Number 14. Number 14, we have J.K. Dobbins. Devin, why don't you uh, pop off on J.K. Dobbins? Okay, J.K. Dobbins. Uh, I drafted him in redraft last year because uh, I thought he'd really come on and be something pretty special. It's a pretty crowded black backfield back there, though. Um, for everything he was at Ohio State, an absolute monster. Um, just just unbelievable at Ohio State. I thought, you know, he transitioned immediately to the NFL. Well, the Ravens brought him on pretty slowly. Uh, last year, I'll give you his numbers. Uh, 134 carries, 805 yards, 6 yards per carry average, which is pretty nice. 9 touchdowns. Only 18 catches, though, for 120 yards. Not really a... I don't know, backfield pass catcher. Uh, some quick little highlights that he had. Uh, week 8, and uh, <clears throat> he had uh, 15 carries for 113 yards against the Steelers. He was on the COVID list last year for a little bit, but he came back in Week 17 for 162 touchdowns against a pretty awful Bengals team. Um, shared RB role all season, as we know, which sucks. But I think towards the end of the year when J.K. got the ball a lot more, you kind of saw the future potential of what J.K. Dobbins will be. He's got elite vision. I bought. I watched film on the guy. Elite vision, great acceleration, great open field moves. Like, you can see so many times he patient, like Le'Veon Bell's the most patient back we've probably seen since we started watching football. Um, you just see him wait. He's patient, makes one awesome cut, and makes a guy miss in the open field, breaks another tackle. It's like, for a team who loves to run the football, 
J.K. Dobbins is in a great situation with an electric running quarterback in Lamar Jackson keyed in on. Every week, J.K.'s touches should be between like 15 and 18 carries still, and it'll just increase as the time goes on. I think his future is bright, especially with Lamar Jackson back there. Yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely got one of the highest floors of anyone we're going to talk about today in our, I guess, technically RB2 rankings. The only hesitation with Dobbins that I think most people are going to have is is what is his ceiling? He was ultra-efficient last year, averaging six yards a carry on the season as a rookie. That's pretty amazing. Uh, but his receiving game is limited, like we said. I, he's a capable pass catcher, but he's not someone who I think is going to command 50-plus catches over the course of a season anytime soon unless a drastic change in philosophy happens with Baltimore. And also, like you said, Devin, Gus Edwards is in the backfield, so Edwards is also a capable back. He doesn't have the draft capital or the or the profile necessarily that Dobbins has, but Last year, watching that backfield and watching the ball go to Gus Edwards, you you hate it to be an owner and to watch it happen, but then you see Gus Edwards and he's running with the same efficiency as Dobbins. He's catching the ball with the same efficiency as Dobbins. So he's definitely worthy of being the the second uh, guy to go in that backfield. The good news is that Mark Ingram's gone now. Once Mark Ingram was phased out of that backfield, which was uh, around the time of the bye week last year, you saw the backfield philosophy shift where Dobbins began to be the head of the committee. And he was so efficient and he scored so many touchdowns during that stretch that he was able to be fantasy relevant. The question is, are you ever going to get that ceiling out of him? Is he ever going to have that game where he blows up for 150 all-purpose yards and a few touchdowns? Without the receiving game and without getting more than probably 15, 16 touches a game, it's unlikely. But at the same time, he's bringing you a floor that's hard to ignore. Bars. <laughs> That's where you hit that. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about J.K. Dobbins a little more later, a little foreshadowing there. But I have a few stats I'll throw out there that, that kind of scare me about J.K. Dobbins. Last year, 51st in targets, 52nd in receptions, 30th in routes run, which tells us that even when he's out in the route tree, he's not really being targeted at a high clip. And – that was before the investment in better pass catchers like Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace. Uh, he's on the most run-heavy offense in the NFL, but he was only 33rd in attempts. Obviously, he really didn't get activated until like week five or six in that offense. He wasn't really featured until week five or six. But I still love his upside. Yeah, he didn't get 10 carries in a game. He didn't get 10 carries in a game until after the bye week in week seven. So week eight, he came out with 15 carries. But before that, never broke yeah, double digits. Yeah, so I think there's a, there's a reasonable um, – rebuttal to the lack of uh overall attempt numbers in 2020 but the pass catching i think is is still a very scary thing to look at for jk dobbins uh I, but like i said I still love his upside i haven't ranked 15th kyle hasn't ranked 15th and devin you're the highest on him at what 10 yeah so you have him as an rb1 so a little bit of disparity there but we're going to move on to number 15 number 15 Number 15 is Antonio Gibson. I have him ranked at number 12. I'm the highest of all of us on, on Antonio Gibson. Kyle has him at 16, and Devin has him at 15. So I'll open up about Antonio Gibson. I think Antonio Gibson has the ability and the opportunity to be an RB1 this year and for the foreseeable future. Although his offensive line isn't great, he brings an all-purpose skill set as a runner and a passer. And that was actually kind of the concern coming into the league where he was more of a pass catcher didn't get a lot of volume in college. He was more of a height, weight, speed projection, and that projection hit. 
in 2020. It took a while to hit, but it hit. And uh, the concern is J.D. McKissick. I don't think J.D. McKissick is long Mm -hmm. for the Redskins. I think – or, geez, I can't even call him the Redskins anymore. The the football team. definitely not long for the Redskins. Yeah. I don't think he's long for the football team. I think, you know, he's a replacement level back that had a solid year last year in a spell role for somebody who I think can be a bell cow. And if you look at uh, Rivera's history and his teams kind of relied on bell cows in the past. So I think Antonio Gibson profiles as a back that fits his style of offense, uh, his team philosophy and with a better quarterback this year and Ryan Fitzpatrick, some more weapons on the outside. I think the sky's the limit for him in 2020 and beyond, but uh, especially uh, this year, if you can get him a little bit cheaper, I would try it this year because I think next year he's going to be ranked much higher and you're almost going to have no shot at him. Yeah, he's the, the way that we went through on the last show and in real time, you saw sort of the gears turning with you and me, Shadi about, oh, we think we have Austin Eckler a little bit too high. Same thing's happening with me whenever I look at where I have Antonio Gibson. And, and I don't have him crazy low. I have him at 16, so in a mid-range RB2, but I think I'm too low. I, I think that everything you just said is very true. McKissick maybe hinders him in the short term, but if Washington doesn't make significant investments in the backfield, he may have a backfield all to himself as soon as McKissick's, McKissick's out of the picture. I think the only thing that could be limiting Antonio Gibson in the near future from what I see is the offense. It's not a great offense so far. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in at quarterback, he's a stopgap. He's a bridge player, okay? We don't know who's going to be playing quarterback. If they take another swing and a miss and draft, bring in another Dwayne Haskins, this offense isn't improving, and that's going to severely hinder him in the future. But if they get a capable play caller under center – and this offense takes the next step, Antonio Gibson is one of these guys that next year we're not talking about as a mid-range RB2. We're talking about do you take him with one of your premier picks in the first round because the kid's talented. There's no denying that. He came out of school, and there was a lot of questions because of what an athlete he was. It was, is he a good enough football player? His athleticism was never in question. It's outstanding. Okay, He's got the size and the speed to be a bell cow. If it all comes together, we're not talking about him as RB16. We're talking about him in the high-end RB1 range in the very near future. Yeah, so you said that you were thinking about moving him up. So you have Dobbins and Gibson back-to-back at 15 and 16, respectively. Do you see him hopping Dobbins? If I had a gun to my head right now and I had to pick, if I'm on the clock, and yeah, I, I think I'm taking I think I'm taking him over J.K. Dobbins. I just I think I want that ceiling coming out. I'd be drafting him right now as an RB2, and as an RB2, I'm shooting for a higher ceiling more than I am the floor, and I think that ceiling is there for Gibson. I don't know if it's there for Dobbins. Gotcha. Devin, do you feel the same way? Are you a Gibson over? Oh, no way. You have Gibson five spots lower than Dobbins. Are you, are you pretty firm on that, or are you kind of leaning towards Gibson rising in your rankings like Kyle? After doing some more extensive research on uh, Gibson, I like him a lot more than I initially did, for sure. I would not draft him over J.K. Dobbins, but uh, for me, that's like splitting hairs. If you want to pick J.K. or you want to pick Gibson, okay, I, I'm fine with whatever. Um, Gibson had just under 800 yards last year, uh, 11 rushing touchdowns, uh, thir- or 36 receptions, 247 yards. Um, fast kid, ran a 4.3940 a couple years ago. Um, here's some fun stats for you that I w- never even knew about. Uh, he was 8th in the NFL in juke rate of 28.2%, and he evaded 58 tackles last year 
fifth, which is 13th best in football. Um, sixth in DVOA, too, for, out of all running backs. So um, Washington as a whole was just 25th in rushing. Um, so for a guy who was he was just super uber efficient for how bad of a football team the football team is with the run. Uh, their O line is ab- abysmal. It's just, it's terrible against the run. I think I read its efficiency rating was like one of the bottom five worst in football uh, for run defense or yeah, run blocking. Sorry, um, he dominated against terrible. Rundies and he struggled against good Rundies, obviously because their O line's bad. The only other big negative thing I still think for the right now, like you guys said, is J.D. McKissick. Last year he was the most targeted running back in the NFL with 110 targets, um, which is weird because, like you guys both said, he's a very capable pass catcher. So just for the right now, um, Gibson and McKissick is a little weird, but I think Gibson is, has a very promising future as a dynasty running back and for a guy who's young um with uh, the guys we talked about Dobbins and Swift and Gibson I wouldn't argue you know one or the other over the three we've talked about so far I like all three pretty much a lot I think the recurring theme we're going to keep seeing is me higher on the younger guys for the sake of them being younger and that they might sound bad but in dynasty I want to get these guys early before they blow up, and I'm kind of willing to overpay for that. So I have him at 12, which is three spots higher than Devin, four higher than Kyle before he inevitably moves him up like he said he's going to. So, uh, you know, that's probably going to keep happening, but that's my little justification there for why he's at 12 in my rankings and 15 overall in our dynasty rankings. So moving on to our consensus number 16 player. Number 16. It's Najee Harris. The Pittsburgh Steelers. I have him ranked at 16. Kyle has him at 14, and Devin has him at 14 as well. Devin, why don't you kick us off on Najee Harris? You and Kyle seem to be in lockstep on this one. I absolutely love Najee Harris as a kid, as a player, as a prospect, everything about him. Um, he's 23, so he's a little older because he left Alabama as a senior because, you know, that backfield. You could probably name 15 of the last 17 Alabama running backs the last three years because they're all in the NFL by now. Anyways, um, some concerns for him, though. Um, the style of a runner he is, maybe injury concerns will pile up. I I don't know. It's a little weird thing to kind of bring up, but never got hurt in college. Um, he's just a vile runner. He has a giant workload, though, 530 touches over the last two seasons. But um, he's very, very polished runner. Uh, av- averaged about 15 touches a week, or that's what I can see him averaging right now. He should be the number one feature back in, in Pittsburgh, no doubt. At least 15 touches a week. He's big, he's strong, he's got great vision, he's patient, he doesn't fumble. He fumbled three times at Alabama his whole college career. Never missed a game. Um, he's a natural pass, catch- pass catcher, too, out of the backfield. He should be the right successor from the Livian Bell days. He should be. His biggest knock right now coming into the league is this dude just can't pass block at all. Um, he's really patient, but sometimes patient to a fault where he ran into contact, ran into people, and he waited too long for stuff to develop out of the backfield instead of just taking the hole and getting two to three yards. And sometimes he... You know, some runners just like contact. Oh, I'm going to go out. Instead of going out of bounds, I'm going to lower my shoulder and pop this guy. He d- did that a lot in college, so maybe trying to dial that back a little bit. But there, to me, there really isn't... They kind of have to pick at straws to find some negatives for Najee Harris. I think 
the biggest negative is just the Steelers' O-line and the Steelers' team. Uh, Big Ben's old. The O-line stinks. Um, you have great pass catchers, but just the team is weird. But I think he'll he'll flourish in the NFL. It's just the other other than him being 23, another con. Um, I just think he's one of the better or best running back prospects we've seen, not named Saquon Barkley, in the last four to five years. Yeah, I'm a huge Najee fan in redraft. I'm a big fan of getting him, obviously, in Dynasty as well. But in redraft, this year, I feel like he is just going to be a false narrative buster for all of these false narratives that seem to get put out. Okay, so first of all, the offensive line thing. That's that's everyone's go-to point is why Najee Harris isn't an RB1 this season. Is Oh, his offensive line's no good. A running back success is not fully dependent on the offensive line. Okay, It's a narrative that seems to be built because common sense would sort of make you think that. But we see all the time in fantasy football where running back ones emerge behind bad offensive lines. It, it's almost no correlation whatsoever. As long as you're commanding the majority of the snaps, which I don't think anyone thinks Najee is really in danger of losing any touches to Anthony McFarlane, Benny Snell or, or Kalen Balage, so he should be dominating most touches out of the backfield. He's got a college profile that just is everything you want out of a running back where you see that constant improvement year after year, and then it peaked last year where he scored 30 touchdowns and had almost 2,000 all-purpose yards, just an outstanding senior season at Alabama, but I don't think the team is going to be very good, and I think that's another narrative for him to bust. For some reason, the fantasy community as a whole seems to think a lot of the time that good running backs, oh, they have to have a good offensive line. They have to be from a good team that's winning so they can get the carries late in the game, and it's just not true. These are false narratives that came out of nowhere, and they're just an elementary level of thinking. Najee Harris, I love it. He's going to be my poster child for busting these false narratives all 2021. Yeah, so I disagree. I think Najee Harris is good. I only have him ranked at two spots behind you, and uh, it's for a lot of the reasons that you seem to think are important. So I love his talent. I think he's extremely talented, but I think what he lacks is home run speed, home run ability. Um, he's a big back, 232. Um, he can do it all, and he fits, a, fits the system that he got into. So he will have the volume. He will be a bell cow in, uh, in Pittsburgh. They've shown the propensity to, to – to use a single back system. So I think he's going to have enough production and opportunity to score a lot of points in fantasy, but I have him lower in dynasty because I don't think he can over. I don't think he has the elite talent profile to overcome his team's current and future trajectory. I don't think this team's on the right path. They have an aging quarterback who's, I mean, people thought he was busted last year. He's coming back for another year. We don't think he's going to get any better. Right. Plus, the offensive line is a problem. And like I said, if he's lacking home run speed, you know, maybe a fast pass catching running back can overcome that much better than a 232 pound bruiser who's more going to break tackles than be elusive. Okay, he's going to get hit in the backfield a lot. And I'm not sure if he has the elite skill set to produce in the face of that to the point where he's going to be an RB1 in fantasy. Like I still have him at 16, so I still think he's going to be good. I don't, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. I still think he's going to be good, but I don't think his ceiling is as high as people are are making it out to be. I definitely don't think he's an RB one in year one. 
Let me ask you a question, not comparing the two prospects, but comparing specifically the two situations, because that seems to be the biggest hit on Najee is his situation. I haven't heard much tearing him apart as a player other than uh, what Devin said, some concerns about pass blocking, which the only way that concerns us in fantasy is if maybe it takes him off the field, but that doesn't seem to be on the table for Najee. But let me give you the situation, everything you just said aging quarterback, a team on the decline, an offensive line not nearly as good as it used to uh, be, a lot of targets in the receiving game. What is different between 2021 Najee Harris's situation and 2018 Saquon Barkley's situation, where he came in on They're a team on the decline with an aging Eli Manning and a bad offensive line. What what about these two teams is different? I'm not talking about the players. I'm not going to sit here and say Najee is Saquon, but the situation is where he takes all his hits. Saquon was able to have success in spite of all of that. Can Najee not do the well, same? Well, you look at where and how Saquon had success, and we talked about it before. He's a lot of one, two, one, three, one, four, 65-yard run because he has that game-breaking ability. He has the most talent of any running back we've seen come out of the draft in my lifetime. So what you're trying to ignore is the exact thing that would prove my point that Najee is not the prospect that Saquon is, and he can't produce the way Saquon did in that same situation. He doesn't have the home run speed. He doesn't have the incredible elusiveness that Saquon Barkley has. So, yeah, we can't ignore athleticism. We can't ignore um, Saquon Barkley's incredible talent that it in my opinion hasn't been hasn't nobody's come close to uh coming out of the draft yet especially not Najee Harris who didn't even test the combine we don't have any real numbers on him but watching tape there was no combine you know what I mean he didn't have a pro day he didn't (laughs) run at a pro day or anything like that he didn't need one yeah because he's afraid to run a four six but that's it that's gonna be it (laughs) but uh honestly uh, I like him as a player He's 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 the kind of guy you want to root for I mean if you have time Google his story and uh, make sure you have some tissues next to you when you read it because it's it's some sad stuff, but it's super exciting for him to be in the league now and be in a position he is to become, you know, one of the league's favorite backs. So um, I like him as a player. Don't think that he has the upside that people are making it out to be. All right, so we're moving on. Number 17. Number 17. Old Jelly Bean ETN. He is mine. He's me and Kyle's 17th ranked RB, and he's Devin's 18th ranked RB. Devin, why are you so low on Travis Etienne? Well, I'm not really that low on Mr. Jelly. Um, <laughs> Mr. Jelly? He Mr. Just... Jelly. Show him the respect. <laughs> oh, Jelly uh, Um, I just liked the other guys in front of him for now. Um, so I'll give you a few comparisons to Jelly. Uh, jelly bean here. Well, I'll go with some positives and I'll give you some comparisons here. Um, super healthy, never missed a game in college. Um, he's a very um, familiar in all sorts of schemes that for the in college. So NFL, you know, he's ready for whatever that brings his way in Jacksonville. Um, he's great vision. Like almost all these rookie running backs have great vision. He's really light on his feet. He's a great pass catcher, elusive. Um, the comparisons I'll give you for player profile-wise is he's built like a Cadillac Williams, like a David Wilson, oh, like a C.J. Spiller, like a Jamal Charles. He's built like one of those backs. He's a lean, fast scat back. Um, 
you saw Jamal Charles have some amazing seasons. CJ Spiller came on really slow and came on strong. I think he had two or three strong, strong seasons, then just faded. Cardell Williams or Cadillac Williams had that awesome rookie year and just kind of died after that. Um, so, even though injury was never a problem for Jelly Bean in college, you know, you got real grown-ass men out here that's going to be hitting this guy, and one of his other biggest cons, uh, he's a really bad in pass protection, and he never really did it in college. Um, and he's frequently stopped in his tracks when he's tackled above the waist, because obviously he's a quick guy. So if you go for, like I teach my defensive backs in high school, look at their stomach, follow their stomach, and hit them up, up there, you know? Um, hit them chest high in situations like that. So he's not not going to be a guy that's going to break through tackles. He fumbled a lot as a senior. Really never had any fumble problems. So he fumbled four times last year at Clemson. Um, overall, with a rebuilding team, a quarterback he's known for forever and one of the best quarterbacks, prospects we've seen, like we always say. Uh, even with that crowded backfield, ETN's um, outlook this season might be a little low, depending on how they use him. But I think this guy is going to line up a lot in the slot a lot in an offset eye pistol formation and do a lot of things out of the backfield like that, whether it's getting the ball quick, uh, quick little outs, quick little shovel passes, some stuff stuff like that, creative. Overall, though, if he pans out like a Jamal Charles, that's, that's where you could see his ceiling beat. This guy could be a Jamal Charles for a handful of seasons, and that's fantastic because that guy won you fantasy leagues multiple years in a row. Uh, the only fear is him being the small player he is. Maybe he gets beat up and injuries kind of derail his career early. That's my only really big worry about him right now. I think, though, he uh, he should be solid and safe, and he should be the RB2 taken in rookie drafts. Yeah, I'm coming around a little bit on ETN as far as how there I feel about is. him in Dynasty. Is. I still have my worries. We can't expect, like I've heard... Uh, J.J. Zacharyson say quite a few times, we can't expect football teams to be logical when they act illogically. And taking a running back in the first round on a rebuilding team, not only a rebuilding team, but a team that just came off the worst season in the NFL, you can't expect, I can't exactly put my faith in that franchise. What has Jacksonville ever done to make me think that they know what they're doing when compared to the other 31 franchises in the NFL? The answer is nothing. As far as ETN's talent goes, I think he's very talented, and I think if he had an Andy Reid on his coach as his coach, then yeah, maybe we're talking about some Jamal Charles comps. But he doesn't. He has Urban Meyer, and I think I've already voiced my disgust in Urban Meyer as a head coach. And before he's even coached a snap at the NFL level, I'm already giving up on him. But ETN is a good talent in a bad situation. So if he gets the volume, if Jacksonville puts him on the field for all third downs and gives him 150 plus carries, then I think he's fantasy relevant. If they do the illogical thing, which is to keep him sidelined and play the likes of Carlos Hyde at any point in the game over Travis Etienne, then then that really shoots his value, shoots it dead on the spot. His dynasty value, I think, is still there because in a couple years the situation could be different. But in the near future, I'm not too high on Etienne. I like where we have him ranked, which is a mid-range RB2. He's going to provide the pass-catching ceiling, I think which is going to keep him fantasy relevant. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes it a few weeks or even a couple of months before he's really getting the consistent targets that you're comfortable in putting him in your fantasy lineups. I think that may take some time. But once it gets to that point, I think he's a safe play. 
Yeah, you guys basically covered it all. All I'm going to throw out is that, you know, no matter what you've heard about James Robinson, Travis Etienne is a more talented running back, and he was drafted in the first round. Those two things combined, talent and draft capital, should lead us to believe that he will eventually be the, the heavier used, more productive player in that backfield. But like Kyle said, we don't know how logical the Jacksonville Jaguars are. So the start of 2021 might be rough. Don't bail. Okay. Give it some time. The talent is there. They use high draft capital on them. Those are two of the, you know, stilts that hold up in RB1 and fantasy. So be prepared for a little bit of early disappointment. And then the eventual payoff, in my opinion, will come at the end of the year, maybe in 2022. Moving on to our... 18th ranked running back. Number 18. That's CEH, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He is my 18th ranked, Kyle's 18th ranked, and Devin's 19th ranked running back. Hostile is off on CEH. So I think the best thing you can say about CEH right now is buy the dip. Really just buy into the fact that he is a post hype sleeper. Forget that he was a first round pick. Forget that, you know, everybody is regretting taking him over. Uh, Jonathan Taylor in last year's rookie drafts. Remember that he's a 22-year-old running back tethered to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. If I were to give you any running back that is tethered to Patrick Mahomes or Andy Reid, no matter what, I'm not going to tell you their talent level. I'm not going to tell you how old they are. I'm just going to say, hey, this person is going to get work in an offense led by Patrick Mahomes, coached by Andy Reid. Everyone wants a piece of that. And he has the the necessary tools and athleticism to be productive in that offense. He's a really good pass catcher. He's fairly athletic. Uh, his opportunity with – he had three games over 20 carries as a rookie, and I think that's only going to get higher. He's a consistent threat as a pass catcher. He's 28th or better in all efficiency metrics at the position. I mean, I, I think that's kind of understated. Like, people think he had a bad year, and maybe he, he did by what the uh, initial projections were when he landed in Kansas City. But he was very efficient, and he's still really young, and he still is surrounded by some of the best in the game at what they do at quarterback and head coach. So look for CEH to bounce back this year. I think he is a very safe RB2 um, with some upside and maybe some weak, weekly boom weeks where he gives you a top five performance. So I like CEH a lot, and I think actually might be moving him up in the rankings. But right now I have him at 18. Kyle, you have him at 18 as well. What do you got on CEH? Yeah, big fan of your assessment. You you mentioned that he only had three games of 20 or more rushing attempts. All three of those games came before week seven, before Le'Veon Bell was dressing up in the Chiefs uniform. Bell's no longer on the roster. CEH is now competing with the likes of Daryl Williams, Jarek McKinnon, and Darwin Thompson for touches. So he should be in line for more carry. Oh, and by the way, the three games that he did receive over 20 touches – one of those games, he went for a buck 61 on the ground. The other, he went for a buck 38, and then a sprinkle in a game with 64 carries. But that was against the Baltimore Ravens, one of the better defenses carries. in the league. 64 yards, sorry. 64 <laughs> yards on 20 Holy carries. <laughs> that third game. That was uh, against Baltimore, so I won't hold it against it too much. That's a tough defense to do anything against. But I love the by-the-dip analogy. It's the definition of what's going on with CEH right now. I'm not going to say he's going to bounce back and – Quite honestly, he's probably never going to be worth that 101 capital that a lot of people had to spend to get him. But he's definitely worth more than I think people are valuing him right now. His his season, in a nutshell, really wasn't as bad 
is I think the pers- the perception of it was. The perception was he's the one-on-one in rookie drafts. He's going to come out and he's going to have a great season. He's going to be just like Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley have been the last few years at the one-on-one in rookie drafts. And he's going to come out. He's going to immediately command the backfield. He's going to go for a thousand plus yards. And I'm going to have no doubt about where he's going to be in the future. CEH came out and he got off to a, a pretty okay start. He had the great games with 20 plus carries, like I told you, but after Le'Veon Bell was in the picture and he just wasn't getting the touches, it it definitely brought some doubt into your mind as a fantasy owner about what his future is like. But unless Kansas City surprises us and brings another name that's going to command targets into the or command touches into the backfield, I think it's safe to say that he's in line for at least 200 carries, maybe 220. I mean, he finished with a buck 81 last year, and that's spending the majority of the season playing second fiddle to Le'Veon. But I think he's definitely a buy low right now. I don't think he rebounds to the high end RB one status we were all hoping for when we drafted him last year. But I think it's safe to say that. High-end RB2, low-end RB1 is absolutely in his range of outcomes for 2021. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, 800 yards last year, only four touchdowns. That is a big issue uh, as a Chiefs team, not only a him team. Um, he had four of the 11 total running back touchdowns last year that the Chiefs had. The Chiefs just don't give the ball to running backs in the red zone. It's because also they're scoring from 60 yards out on a regular basis to Tyree Kill. Um, anyways, yeah, uh, weeks one through six, he averaged 22.3 touches a game. Week Last seven weeks, 12.7 touches a game. Um, their old line was kind of patched up with some injuries, and again, it's kind of a patchwork, but I think it did improve, obviously, with some trades. And... Um, the O line should be like I like I'm saying. The O line should be better. It's just it's ca- not a cause for concern. I'm not gonna ever say uh, a running back don't draft this guy because his O line's bad. I'm just not high on Ceh. Um, he's uh, he's gonna be a bust for me. And when we talk about bust for redraft running backs, I don't like where he goes in redraft. But dynasty prospects, if uh, don't buy the dip if it's bean dip. Fuck that. Uh, if the dip is queso <laughs> <Bean> dip. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I fucking hate bean dip. If yeah, the dip is gross. queso dip, however, you, I wouldn't mind, you know, maybe making your own, getting your own ingredients and putting it in the crock pot. C-H- C-E-H is a crock pot running back for me in Dynasty. Let it, <laughs> what a, such an insult. Even though let, you know, I don't know if you no, like that, but that sounds I, so mean. I, I don't what? because I think... Anything that's made in a crock pot is delicious. How's that? Yeah, so How's like... crock pot running back? So like, what I, what I mean by that is you let him sit like, if you have him, or you can buy in on him, you can let him sit for, not even, not sit on your team, but he's young. You can buy in on him, let it sit for a little bit on your team, let it marinate, you know, get the juices going, like you're making some, oh some crockpot pulled pork chicken, you know? Right Devin, that's yeah, not that see? shows for you, where you're just bringing the food out of left field. <laughs> At least in a medieval trade robot. I yeah. think uh, both times oh I was, gosh, haven't eaten bad. yet. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> yeah, Maybe bring some snacks next time we record, buddy. I know, right? Well, the, the analogy works for this because I don't like him for redraft at all, but Dynasty, he's ranked where I have him ranked because I think he's decently talented and he's on a team with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid who Andy Reid had Brian Westbrook as his workhorse back for 8-10 to 10 years and he could be that kind of back. It's just, I don't, I'm don't, i I'm not sure I see it yet, but where he's ranked in Dynasty, it's totally fine with me. I'm a shoddy. Everything gotcha. out of a crock pot is delicious. And also, queso is just Spanish for cheese. 
But why does queso taste a million times better than cheese? Because it's hot cheese. The stuff they put in it, dude. Hot you ever, cheese. You ever made cracked chicken, by the way, in a crock pot? Cracked chicken? Yeah. I've made crack and I've made chicken, but I've never made a cracked chicken. <laughs> well, so cracked chicken is just a ranch in, uh, what's that stuff called? Cream cheese. Like ranch packets and cream cheese and like a crock pot and butter for like six hours, bro. Let me tell you. <laughs> Next time we have an event, I'll make sliders and crack chicken. <laughs> no, you bring those sliders, son. And by the way, I've never made crack before. Anyone who's listening and doesn't know me just thinks sure. I'm a crack dealer. I've, I've, I promise, uh-huh. never in my life have I Whatever made. You say. <laughs> we yeah, all you believe moving, you. You were, you were moving them turkeys on Thanksgiving, bro. <laughs> Kick you at the crap pot. All right, here we go. Number 19. So number 19, we have Josh Jacobs. He's my 20th ranked back, as well as Devin's 20th ranked back, and Kyle's 19 ranked back. Kyle, how does it feel to be highest on Josh Jacobs when you're the biggest detractor of Josh Jacobs that I know? I was a big fan of Josh Jacobs about three months ago before Gruden and Mayock just like not, not only showed their true colors – but they went out there and flexed it. They made it their wallpaper on Facebook. They were throwing it on their Snapchat and their IG stories. They were letting their true colors be known by everyone. And that is, they don't know what the hell they're doing on running a football team. You you cut your entire offensive line for the most part, and, and then you draft 30 defensive backs. I have no idea what Oakland's trying to do. But as far as Josh Jacobs goes, I'm a big fan of his talent. I don't think he was ever really utilized the way he should have been in Vegas so far or in Oakland, but he, he's had a good couple of seasons. I, I understand the things that have happened this offseason. It's a it's a brand new O-line, and, and you're bringing in the competition now at running back, but I really don't think that he's going to see less than 200 carries, and he hit 242, 273 the first couple years in his career. He hasn't been overly efficient with them, but he's been a touchdown machine. Seven in his rookie year, 12 last season. He also saw his receiving efficiency step up over the last season. He went from just 20 catches in 2019 to 33 last year on 45 targets. And yeah, I know that's not impressive, but it's enough to keep your floor high. And while I obviously we have him ranked down in the late teens, early 20s, I think he's probably mid-range RB2 is where he should be going. Okay, I think... Where Josh Jacobs is being drafted right now, sort of the perception that I think everyone has on Jacobs, I think this is the floor for Najee Harris. I think that both of them are still in commands of their backfield. I'm not that worried about his touches. He may not be dominating all three downs, but he was giving up touches to to Booker last year. So I really don't think losing a handful of touches is really going to hurt him that much. If he's still putting up over four yards of carry, if he's still scoring – a dozen touchdowns or anywhere close to that. I think he's going to be just fine for fantasy. You may have to swallow your pride a little bit before you press the select button and bring him onto your roster, but I think he's a fine RB2. Uh, Joshua Jacobs, I don't know if he goes by Joshua, 23 years old, back, 23 year old back, um, 273 carries, just over 1,000, 12 touchdowns. Um, average 3.8 yards per carry, which is actually 56th worst in the NFL or 56th Whoa. best, 3. however 9. you want to say it. Oh, geez. Sorry. Um, But he did average 15.4 points per game uh, in fantasy points, which is number 12 for running back. You know, pretty solid. But the big negative, obviously, is the Kenny Drake thing, like Kyle said. Uh, I think he's a volume running back. He's not a PPR guy. A guy like him needs about 20 to 25 touches a game. And by touches, I mean just straight carries. And... 
Kenyon Drake was um, quoted by saying he's going to be a joker in the Raiders offense, which, what does that mean? I don't know. It's fucking John Gruden. But what he said it means is, I'll be used all over the field. I'll be in the slot. I'll be out wide. I'll be playing running back. Yo, okay, buddy. Uh, sure, you'll be in slot, I'm sure, but you're going to be in at running back just as much. And sure, it could be to keep Josh Jacobs fresh for later in the year, but it's not like he had dead legs at all. He's only missed, I think, one or two games his whole career so far and coming to his third year. But the Drake thing is the biggest deter. Uh, I think he's decently talented, but I think he's more of a volume running running back than a talented running back. Um, kind of like the next guy we're going to be talking about. Uh, for where Josh is, I think it's fine dynasty-wise. Redraft-wise, I would I'd stay away from him depending on where his ADP is. I haven't looked, but... Um, it's a volume runner with Kenny and Drake. It's just a weird spot. Raiders don't know what they're doing. It's if you have Josh Jacobs in your fantasy team, you're like, well, fuck. I don't know. I'm not sure what to do with this guy. I would if he's your RB two, like you already have one, and Josh Jacobs is your other running back. I think you're fine. But if Josh Jacobs is your number one running back on your team, then uh, that's just kind of scary for the future. I don't know. But I think he's fine where he's ranked dynasty wise for us. I actually think I want to. I want to bring him up in the ranks a little bit. I want to bump him up a few spots. I think he's undervalued. Uh, I still think he's a really talented running back. I think it's not talked about how talented he actually is. Uh, people just look at his situation and say, yeah, he sucks. It's like, well, you forget that a few years ago we were talking about how talented Josh Jacobs really is. And I still believe in his talent. He's only he's barely 23 years old. I think he just turned 23 like two months ago. So he's still really young. And, I mean, he finishes the RB9 last year. As the third in or at his position, third in carries, fourth and twenty-fourth in targets, second in red zone touches. Not that efficient, but the volume's there. And if you're high on Najee Harris, I think you have to be high on Josh Jacobs. I mean, maybe Josh Jacobs loses a little bit of work from Kenyon Drake, but he was losing work to Devontae Booker and uh Jalen Richard last year. So are we not sure that Kenyon Drake's just going to take over that role? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I think he might even be a gadget back. So um, Kenyon Drake really doesn't scare me too much. I'm not really worried about the money that they spend on him. We can't look at what the Raiders do with their money and use it as anything predictive. I mean, they signed multiple guys last offseason that are no longer on the team to bigger deals than the market would have assumed. So their spending is illogical and – don't look at Kenyon Drake's deal and think and, and immediately read into it as a negative on Josh Jacobs. Obviously, it's not positive, but don't buy into that without you know seeing what week one, two, three look like. Okay, I still think you could be comfortable with Josh Jacobs as an RB2. I think he should be more of a mid-tier RB2, and we have ranked kind of towards – actually, we have him about mid-tier, but I think he should be bumped up a little bit in my rankings. I don't know about you guys. So the only reason I don't have him as high as I have like the Najee Harris, even though we talked about how similar the situations are, is I, I don't think the efficiency is really there for Jacobs. He's talented, but he's never been particularly efficient. He's been okay. He's been about league average when it comes for a running back. But Najee Harris, you still have the unknown. So right now everyone's smelling Najee Harris like roses because he just came off a dominating performance in his last four seasons at Bama. So you you could look at it optimistically as a Najee owner, but as a Josh Jacobs owner, as opposed to back when he was in Bama, you you have a, a little bit of a sample size now. You have a couple years in the NFL where we've seen sort of what he is, and 
that's a volume dependent running back. He's still going to present a high floor, I think, which is why we still have him as an RB two. It's not like we dropped him out of our top 24 rankings, but I don't think he possesses that upside anymore that he maybe had last year or the year before where it's, hey, this guy can command RB1 touches and make himself a high end or even a mid-range RB1 in fantasy. I don't think that's in his range of outcomes anymore. Yeah. um, Last little point, like you just said, I just think he's a straight volume runner. He's not moving anywhere in my rankings. I don't think he's uber talented. He's just going to get the carries. Uh, I don't see anything special out of Josh Jacobs. Like I just said, this dude was 56 in yards per carry last year. Like, he's not, like, how talented is this guy? Sure, again, old line issues, John Gruden, ugh, whatever. I just think he's volume-based. Gotcha. All right, moving on. Number 20. Our next back, I think is going to be a little bit of a, uh, a, a disagreement here, at least a little bit. So me and Kyle have him ranked at 21. Kyle and I. And Devin has him ranked at 17. He's our overall 20th ranked back, and that's David Montgomery. So, Devin, you're the highest on David Montgomery. Um, why don't you tell, explain it to me like I'm five years old why you're high on David Montgomery? So, I'm a little higher on him. Well, actually, much higher on him than you two are. Um, because of the Justin Fields situation, I think that helps him a lot. And what he showed, as in who, as in David Montgomery showed the last half of the season, even half last quarter of the season, I think that is the true David Montgomery. But in saying that, there was no Tariq Cohen last year, and this guy had 54 catches. Um, there was no Damian Williams, who they signed last year. So even though I praised him and I have him high, he comes with backlash because assuming Tariq Cohen is healthy for the full season, this dude's not catching 54 passes. Um, he had 247 carries and just over 1,000 yards, 4.3 yards per carry, 10 total touchdowns. He had a solid year, but most of that was towards the back half of the season. I th- But why I am higher, I do think that there is serious talent there that we finally saw that he had a college that we're talking about his rookie year. His second year was off such a slow start, and you're like, okay, this guy maybe just doesn't have it. But I think he found that gear. And I think it's just going to... It's kind of like me and Leonard Fournette, where I was higher on him as a... Uh, as a sleeper in redraft, because he's going to be riding off what he came off last year. I, that's how I see David Montgomery. Better, better, not not necessarily a better offense, but you have a better quarterback situation. It's just a better overall team because of Justin Fields. I just think Montgomery produces more because of that. But that might last year might be the only season where he's an RB one. So he comes with a lot of question marks. I'm just higher on him because I like his potential more, and I do think he's a talented running back. But he's dangerous. The team should be better, like you said. You also brought up what the negatives are because Tariq Cohen is coming back. And in my opinion, just complete game as a whole, I'd much rather have Tariq Cohen on my my team than David Montgomery. I have him as as a sleeper, which we talked about last week. In real football, not dynasty, right? Yeah, and in Dynasty, you have to take age into effect. But honestly, if they're both starting their careers today, I I think I'd rather take Tariq Cohen's floor than David Montgomery. When we look back at both their careers, I don't know that we're going to say Montgomery had a better one. But if we look at the season he just had, Devin, you alluded to it a little bit, but I'm going to give it some context. In the first nine weeks of the season, six of those, David Montgomery was held under 10 fantasy points. You don't look up as a fantasy owner and see single digits out of your running back spot and smile, okay? those That's the stuff that costs you weeks. 
And then, of course, he had the back end where he was outstanding, weeks 12 through 17. But his schedule, week through week 12 through 17, and I know this is something that's been stated before, but you get Green Bay twice, Detroit, Houston, Minnesota, and Jacksonville. Not one of those is anything close to a respectable run defense. In fact, Houston, Jacksonville, Detroit, literally the worst three teams in the league against the run last year. It was it was incredible. Like all the stars aligned for the fantasy schedule for him last year to be an absolute stud. And people are talking about that stretch like he was incredibly talented. He broke 25 points once. He was solid in those weeks. Don't get me wrong. He's high teens, low 20s. But when I'm facing the three worst run defenses in the NFL and I can't get a 30-point week out of the guy, what is his ceiling really? And if he doesn't have a high ceiling, the fact that he had the high floor was, like you said, because of the run or the passing work that he got. And as you alluded to, he's not catching 54 passes again with Tariq Cohen healthy. Tariq Cohen is stealing those passes from him. So I think he has a low floor. I think he has a low ceiling. That being said, we're getting to the part of our rankings where there just aren't that many running backs who we are sure have big roles in their offense. We can be sure that David Montgomery is going to have a good role in this offense. We can be sure that the team should improve off of last season without Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles under center. I don't think he's going to get another stretch like he had to close out the season last year. I think if you are in your league and you're a David Montgomery owner and you have a chance to flip him, I think this is the time that you sell him. You sell him at his peak. Everyone has that good taste in their mouth of the way he finished last season. I don't think there's any way he repeats that. I don't know how it happens. So I'm definitely out on David Montgomery. That being said, if you're forced to have him as an RB2 or a flex, I think you could do worse. If he is in that situation for me, I'm trying to get out as soon as I can. Yeah, I think I align more with Kyle on this, which makes sense because we haven't ranked at the same spot. But I'm going to give you the case to sell David Montgomery using these metrics, right? Fourth in carries, sixth in targets, sixth in red zone touches. He was fifth in rushing yards, fourth in receiving yards, tenth tenth in total touchdowns, all on a bad team. Tell somebody that and tell them that Justin Fields is a better quarterback. It's going to be a better offense and unload him for as much as you can get. I think that is the best thing you can do with David Montgomery right now. And you might regret it, but I think the odds that you will are very slim because I really, like Kyle said, I don't think he has a high ceiling or a high floor. Um, I think you can't understate Tariq Cohen coming back. I think he's a very dynamic back. I might be the highest on his overall talent of the all three of all three of us. I love Tariq Cohen, and I think him coming back in that offense is going to dramatically shift what David Montgomery's role is. It's going to look more like his rookie year, in my opinion. So get rid of him right now if you can. I know Devin's shaking his head, I'm sure. But that's my opinion. And we're going to move on. Number 21. Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders is number 19th for me, 20th for Kyle, and 21st for Devin. Uh, Devin, why don't you start us off with Miles Sanders? Uh, So I have him 21st, but I'd low-key, and by low-key I mean high-key, would shoot him up these boards. Um, into, let me go back on my pieces of paper. I would put him, like, probably in front of Najee Harris, uh, honestly, after doing some more research on Miles Sanders. Um, I'll tell you why, obviously. That's why we're here. Um, he had 164 carries for 867 yards, 5.3 yards per carry, which is pretty nice. Six touchdowns. 
Um, this guy not isn't isn't a super great pass catching back as we all know. 28 for 197. He had fumbled four times last year, which is a little also not good. Um, played only in 12 games, uh, but in those 12, uh, at 10 of those 12, he had 75 plus total yards, which is great to see out of a out of a back like Miles Sanders. Um, why I'm higher on him now is because of who's the quarterback, and it's Jalen Hurts, and in uh, Hertz's four last four games, uh, Miles Sanders is in three of them. He averaged 15.3 yards or 15.3 carries a game and 4.3 pass targets a game. So roughly 20 targets a game with Jalen Hurts in. Um, his rookie season, he was pretty solid. Came on uh, with 501 and three touchdowns. Um, I just think with Jalen Hurts. The opportunity there for touches. This uh, he should be getting, like I said, fifteen to twenty or eighteen to twenty. Um, with a prolific, not a prolific offense, but I, I'm higher on him because I, I had him in fantasy, and I do see what he can be become if he's given the proper volume and if he's getting eighteen or twenty touches a game in a weirdly not good but decent Eagles team with a exciting quarterback Stop. who could be good or bad. Stop it. <laughs> um Don't I, get shot his up like that. I just I just uh I just think uh Sanders prospects are a lot higher than I thought they were originally. Um he is twenty four. It's not not a huge deterrent to me. The the worst thing about him is he's not a really good pass catcher. And uh, but he has up high upside I think in the future dynasty for a running back just because of the situation and the possibilities for him getting the ball as much as he does. And usually he does pretty good with it when he gets the ball that much. Guys, I have breaking news. Oh, jeez. Oh, is it? Dustin Johnson missed the cut for the oh, second, what a bum. consecutive major. Oh, yeah, we do not he's care. He's the first number he's one ranked player. He's daughter, so he, he wins at life. Hey, good for him. But he's the first world-ranked number one to miss consecutive majors since 1997. Daddy Longstick himself, Dustin Johnson, misses. <laughs> Daddy Longstick. Daddy Longstick. <laughs> <laughs> Made it up on the spot. Anyway, Miles Sanders. I am perplexed when it comes to Miles Sanders. I didn't have the bad taste in my mouth coming off of 2020 that I think the Eagles had when it came to Miles Sanders. I think all Devin's talk about food today makes me keep referencing the taste in my mouth I have about these players. So I apologize <laughs> for that. But... Every move that Philly has made this offseason makes me think that they are not as high on Miles, Miles Sanders as a talent as maybe the fantasy community was. I, I think a lot of the more savvy owners are catching up with that train of thought, and maybe they're a little lower on him because of that. But as a runner, like Devin said, he's been effective, but he's been effective the way Shoddy talks about Saquon Barkley and how he's effective. He has a lot of those short gains, and then he busts out a 75-yard run uh, near the end of the game that just saves his stat line. He's had a lot of those over his career. He's He saw his uh, rushing yards go from 818 to 867, so pretty consistent there. But the big change from year one to year two for Sanders was also, like Devin said, in the receiving game, where he went from 50 catches and 500 yards as a rookie to just 28 catches and under 200 yards as a sophomore. Obviously not the direction you want to be going. They bring in a, pa a capable pass catcher in the draft, and then they go out and they pick up Carrion Johnson and waivers. I don't think you take Carrion Johnson onto your team without the intention of using him in some way. And I don't, I don't think that way is give him 200 carries over the course of the season or even 200 touches. I don't think that's the case. But I think Miles Sanders is slowly finding himself 
pigeonholed into an early down back role. I don't think they trust him to catch the ball anymore. We talked about it uh, a little bit in previous shows about how poor his efficiency has been when he has been entrusted to catch the ball, and he just hasn't come through. So I think he's going to be an early down back for a team that, in spite of what Devin said, is not going to be very good next year. They're definitely a team in rebuilding mode, and you can't rely on volume on the ground for him to keep him afloat. And all that being said, where does his ceiling come from? If, if I draft Miles Sanders and I try to think of what is the best case scenario for him, I really can't piece anything together other than maybe a volume-driven RB2. But that volume, I don't think, is going to get to the point with all the bodies that they have in that backfield that RB1 is even in his realm of possibility anymore. And it kind of sucks because I'm a big Miles Sanders fan, was a big fan as a prospect, and I felt like he's been pretty good even as a professional, but everything that Philadelphia is saying, and yes, I know it's the new regime and the coaching staff, and maybe they just have different ideas in mind, is telling us that they don't see Miles Sanders the same way that the fantasy community has for the last couple of years. Yeah, so what the upside of Miles Sanders is that we still believe he's very talented. And with a new regime coming in, you can't really bank on the past opinion of him maintaining uh, – its status in the organization with a whole brand new coaching staff. So they didn't really like throwing him the ball. They didn't trust him throwing him the ball. He had a lot of drops in critical situations in Philadelphia. And uh, if any of you guys know anything about Philadelphia sports culture, um, that stuff sticks with you. And it's uh, you definitely don't forget it. People don't let you forget it. Um, and I think it was kind of in his head a little bit. So maybe with the new regime and a new system – um, he can kind of get back to his roots in terms of being a solid pass catcher and uh, a guy who can get a lot of yards after the catch. That's the positive. Uh, he also was top 24 in every opportunity metric other than red zone touches, which left him with a low touchdown total for two years in a row. Um, he, and once again, that could change the new system. Um, but then bringing in a, uh, two running backs, one through the draft, one through free agency, or uh, through a waiver claim just doesn't. It doesn't give you any confidence going into it. I still have him ranked fairly highly as an RB2 because he's still young and I still like his talent a lot. I just – I think you got a higher chance of him being ranked lower this time next year than being ranked higher. And obviously you don't really want to invest in guys that are uh, decreasing in value. But if you think otherwise, I really can't blame you because he is really talented and he's shown flashes like Kyle said. He has that home run hitter ability. Um, but – He's more boom bust, like best ball kind of back I would like to have. And it's just kind of hard to trust him in Dynasty. So that's where I'm at with Miles Sanders. All right, guys, we're going to move on to our number 22 back. Number 22. And that is Javante Williams. He is ranked number 22 by me and Kyle and number 24 by Devin. So, Devin, you're slightly lower than us on Miles, or uh, not Miles Sanders, on Javante Williams. Why is that? I guess because there's a little bit of uncertainty with Javante Williams, as in being a running back in the NFL. Um, he played a linebacker, and he only had one major offer in D1, and that was at North Carolina. So he's relatively newer to running back, but he was able to take a ACC hits all season and you know take the college football workload at running back. He's built like a linebacker, obviously, because he plays like it, so he's built like a thicker running back. Um, the only reason I am low on it is because we just kind of don't know a lot about him as a running back profile. I think the situation is good, even with Melvin Gordon. You can That means you can kind of come on a little slower, learn the NFL a little more, learn the office from one of the 
Stat-wise, not so great. Usually Melvin Gordon, but I think Melvin Gordon is still one of the smarter and better running backs in football, especially to learn stuff from. That offense is super explosive if they just could find anybody to throw the pigskin back there. Um, I still hope it's my boy Drew Locke, but I, my hopes are, uh, I mean, it's pretty low. Uh, he's really, he's super young. He'll be 21 when the season starts. Oh, white boy, um, right, Drew Locke? <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, he's a very physical runner. Um, he's a fantastic route runner, which I did not know that about him until I looked up some more stuff on him. Um, but another thing that's negative for him, he's not fast. He uh, he will always get caught in the open field, probably in the NFL. He doesn't have much of a second gear when he gets to the next level. It's just sustained, normal speed. And he runs too low, which sounds like a weird thing to say, but let's say it's third and two, and you need those two yards. This guy will be too low to the ground and ends up stumbling over his own feet getting hit and losing some yards or not getting enough yards. So the only negatives really are just because he's a little, more of an unknown running back because we don't have much tape on him because he hasn't played the position his whole life. Uh, but I love the situation. Uh, if you picked him or are going to thinking about picking him over ETN, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't fault you. Uh, I think they're relatively more close than what I thought they were pre-rookie draft. Najee's the clear-cut one, and Etn and Williams are kind of uh, two and three, just however you want to do it. Um, but that's that's the only reason I'm a little lower on him than you guys is I'm a little unsure of what he's actually going to be able to do in the NFL. Yeah, with Javante, there's positives and negatives to take. So I think it surprised everyone on draft night when Denver was the one who went to the podium with his name on the ticket. When I think that there was other places that Denver probably could have addressed. But they obviously felt comfortable with taking him. They, in fact, traded up to get him. I don't think the landing spot is much concern. You see Melvin Gordon's name in the backfield, but I think a year from now, Melvin Gordon is going to be looked at in a similar light as we look at the likes of, say, uh, Mark Ingram this year, where it's, yeah, you had a good career, but you're on the backtrack. He's no longer going to be the lead back. I think Javante's taken over this backfield. That being said... After the draft capital was invested in him at the 203, I mean, th- this guy went number 35 overall in the draft, which I think is kind of crazy considering that, one, he went to North Carolina, not exactly known for their NFL product. It's not a small school, but to go to North Carolina, and his numbers weren't that really impressive. He didn't break out until a senior season, first time he went over 1,000 yards and maxed out at 25 catches. And none of these numbers are ones that you look at and say, Oh, this kid was trash. Like he was obviously very talented. I think the reason he went as high as he did at pick 203 is there's obviously a very big tear break after him in the draft. After Javante Williams, you go down to the likes of most likely in most people's boards, Trey Sermon, which represents a, a pretty big gap, I think, in a lot of GM's minds. So I think that's when he, why he went as high as he did. That being said, if I'm approaching it and I'm going into a rookie draft, if you haven't done one already, probably sitting somewhere middle end of the first round, if I have a need for running back and Javante Williams is the best on my board, I'm trying to trade down or or hope that maybe a Trey Sermon falls to me in round number two, but most likely I'm trading out of that spot. I don't think Javante Williams has an RB1 ceiling, and obviously he hasn't played a down NFL football. It might be early to say that, but he seems to me like a guy who's going to be that high floor, low ceiling type player in the NFL, and he ha- that player has its role. And it's somewhere around where I ranked him, which is, what, RB20. So I think his floor is going to be fine once he takes over the job from Melvin, which I do think will happen this season. But I don't know if his ceiling's ever anything I'm going to be excited about. 
So the best way I could describe Javante Williams is he's a lot more like David Montgomery than people want to admit. Okay, he, I think he's. Oh no, you saw David Montgomery. He has the quads of Saquon Barkley. He has the vision of Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, get the fuck out of here! What are the other things in that graphic? He's the know. greatest prospect we've ever seen. He's got the man. elusiveness of Barry Sanders. He's got the trucking ability yeah, yeah. of Earl Campbell. Yeah. God, what a hero David Montgomery is about to be. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Javante Williams is is a younger David Montgomery on a better team. And I think if he can get past Melvin Gordon, he could be a second half of the year um, big-time producer for your team. But I don't know how sustainable his production will be, similar to David Montgomery. I think he's going to lose a lot of work to more athletic, dynamic backs that are brought in. And those backs come in every year. We know there's always another – uh, scat back ready to take passing work away from a guy who's just not that effective or efficient with his pass catching work. So uh, I think Javante Williams is a good back. I think he's adequate. I think he can be a plus back in the right situation. But as long as Drew Locke's there, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't think that offense is going to have a ton of touchdown opportunities. So I'm not too high on Javante Williams. I think, Devin, you're a little bit higher than me and Kyle maybe, but um, – or a little bit lower than me and Kyle, according to the rankings. But I think I actually might be moving him down a little bit. So let's move on to number 23, and that is Kareem Hunt. Number 23. Kareem Hunt is number 23 for me. He is not ranked by Kyle, and he is 22 for Devin. So, Kyle, you're a little bit lower than us. I'm not sure where exactly you have him. Um, but why don't you have him as an RB2 or better? Yeah, so he missed my cut for top 24, but he wouldn't be far outside of it. It's it's becoming a common theme with the guys that we have here near the bottom of our RB2 rankings. It's just what is the ceiling, and Kareem Hunt doesn't have much of a ceiling. He He's someone I'm fine with putting him in my flex because he brings what he does to the table in the receiving game, but he, he's never going to be the running back who's going to command 250 carries on the ground anymore. That's just not going to happen as long as he's carrying or sharing the backfield with Nick Chubb. Even last year when Chubb got hurt for a few games, you saw him top out at 198 carries, which he had a very good season. It was, it was an RB2 caliber season, and that's how I have him ranked. I think that's his ceiling moving forward. If at some point he leaves Cleveland and finds a backfield to himself, which I think is unlikely at this point, then I'll reassess. But at this point, I think we know what he is. He he was outstanding in Kansas City when he was commanding all three downs, but obviously we all know what happened there. And now in Cleveland, he's playing second fiddle to Chubb. So I think he's going to be plenty efficient. He's going to be good at doing what he does, but that ceiling's just not there anymore. I'm fine with having him as my flex play, maybe RB2 if I decide to go a receiver-heavy strategy, but I'm, I got him for what he is right now. Where are you, Devin? Um, yeah, pretty much a lot what Kyle said here. Uh, he had 841 yards and 11 total touchdowns, 38 catches, 304 yards. That sounds all like pretty solid. Uh, he's 26 when the season starts. Um, <clears throat> he just won't, I mean, I don't want to, you know, just say the same shit, but he just won't be the dude for you because of Nick Chubb. They'll always split roll, split carries, um... He only scored double-digit fantasy points 56% of the games last year for his first year in in, um, Cleveland. I think it was around 63 or 64%. I don't remember the exact. I think it's 63%. So he wasn't even much of a double-digit scorer. Lots of his yards come in the air in the PPR format. Um, He was RB26 weeks 10 through 16. And four out of the last eight games for your playoff stretch, this guy didn't score more than 7.5 fantasy points. Um... 
he's obviously we know what he is. He's extremely talented. Um, he's a, a great pass catcher. He's elusive when he is in that role, like Kyle said. But it's not there for him in KC. Or sorry, I don't know. Why I keep saying KC because he used to be there. Haha, <laughs> duh. Uh, in Cleveland, um, I legitimately couldn't. I legitimately uh, couldn't think. I legitimately couldn't think of why I was saying Kansas City. <laughs> That's why I was like, I, why am I saying KC? Um, he's now been in Cleveland longer than he was in Kansas City. He has. Oh, really? uh, a fun, Jeez. a fun little nugget I uh, read though. Uh, after this year. Uh, he can be cut by the Browns, and it's only 1.5 in dead cap, and he'll be 27 at the start of next football season. So I don't want him to get cut because I like him in Cleveland, but for fantasy prospects, if this guy gets cut and ends up on a – let's say the Falcons don't pan out with Mike Davis. I don't know what Mike Davis's deal was. Let's no. say the Falcons add him. Um, Not a chance. Dude, imagine the Falcons trade for Kareem Hunt every so I mean – It'd just be a cool fit. I mean, uh, that's just, that's the first team that really came dumb, to my yeah. It would be. It's sweet. the first team that came to my mind with weird running back situations. Yeah. If this guy gets his own backfield, Miami uh, trades for him. Oh shit. Oh Miami, that'd be that'd be sexy. They send um, a, they send a fifth rounder to Cleveland. I mean, who says no? <laughs> I know, right, right. But yeah, everything else Kyle said, he's just he's right on the cusp of not being in the top twenty-four dynasty running back. But he's a great flex play most of the time. You guys said it all. He's talented. <laughs> Sorry, he's more talented than we have him ranked. It's just the situation is what's going to hold him back. Yeah, totally. I, last thing I'll say, league winner if anything happens to Chubb, but Chubb seems to be a workhorse, so don't get your hopes up. Number 24. Last running back of our top 24 is Damian Harris of the New England Patriots. He's ranked 24 by me and Kyle, and he's outside the top 24 for Devin. Devin, are you low on him or are you just – Slightly lower than him than we are. Nah, I hate this guy. Um, I knew he, it. There's like, there's a guy that we don't have in here that we should have in here, and I'm gonna talk about him first, and it's gonna be brief. It's my guy, Chris fucking Carson. Obviously, he's a Seahawks, so I gotta stack up for my guy. The biggest gripe on Carson is this guy oh, can't fumble stay Johnson? healthy. He fumbles and he can't stay healthy. But <laughs> this guy will, <laughs> this guy will be a top 15 running back in fantasy football in redraft. And he will be every single year he's on the Seahawks. And he signed an extension there. He's only 26. He's talented. He's fast, elusive. Pass catching's meh. But this guy is going to get 18 carries a game at least because of how Seattle plays football. He's going to get touchdowns. He's going to get yards. I don't know how he... He should be right around 23 to 24 ranking wise. Hey, Devin. You're, Damian you're Harris, bogarting, though. You're bogarting Damian Harris. We're not talking about Chris I, Carson. I needed to make He's a point about Chris Carson because he, he was not... baby hands. Chris Carson was not going to get talked about on this episode, and he needed to be talked about for people that are wondering about him. Damian Harris, he though. need to be Yes, he, he did, because when he is a top 12... PPR or P, yeah, PPR running back in Dynasty, you'll be like, okay. oh, fuck, we didn't talk about that. Chris Put Carson. Put something on that. Yeah. I've been I waiting. It's been four damn shows. It's been four damn shows, and I'm putting it out there right this. now. If he is not a top 12 running back, you will watch in its entirety Don't Hamilton, the musical. Oh, my God. I mean, you yeah. Watch I, mean, you, I mean, you can't make that bet. You can't make that bet. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll do it. I'll take that bet. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch I'll watch I'll watch a musical and be miserable for seven hours, however long it is. It's probably some What's obnoxious name, amount man? of time. What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. Dude, like it's probably fucking three 
parts. There's an intermission where they tell you to go get some drinks. <laughs> There's two parts with an intermission. It's going to be the greatest two and a half hours of your life. It's oh so amazing. God. The number one uh, musical in the world. It does not need to justify itself to the likes of you two. Listen, okay, Damien Harris, before I go off Oh, I watched one musical. I'm cultured. Shut up, Kyle. <laughs> hey, I watched Rent. I watched Rent a few months ago. Another good one. Who are you? So, you can start doing Kyle. show tunes? Yeah, why don't you get another podcast where you talk about show more, tunes? I would. And you wear There's a fedora. There's a whole different side of the world. There's a whole different side of the world that you're just not aware of. I like yeah, Greece. Neat. Greece is the shit. Expand yeah, your of course, horizons. Of course you like I'm Greece. Actually not a Look at you. A lot of date rape in that one. It's pretty it's great. <laughs> the greaser likes Greece. Weird. Yeah, weird. Ah, oh, forehead. I like Greece. <laughs> Where's Hounder when you need him with the milkshake? <laughs> he was probably a, he was probably you know in the first showing of Greece. If you think about it, he's so old. Dude, can we please talk about Damian oh, Harris? Damian Harris? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you made some great points, Devin. Let me talk about Damian. There Harris. There we go. Then. No, no, I have okay. points on Damian Harris. Don't don't just make it. I'll make it. Oh, you're quick, not going to you're not going to cede your time to Chris Carson again. <laughs> no, Damian Harris, 137 carries, six six hundred nine six. Wow, you're mess, messing me up. Six hundred ninety one rushing yards, two touchdowns, five catch, fifty two yards. This guy doesn't catch the ball. Obviously, they have like 28 running backs on that roster at all times, and half of them will catch the ball, half of them will run the ball. The biggest downside of Damian Harris is he's a split backfield because, well, I don't think Sonny Michelle is any good. But that's just the Patriot way. They've been doing it since Tom Brady, since they win their first Super Bowl. There's just so many different running backs there. But the biggest upside for him is when he has had the ball and has had an opportunity, he's actually looked pretty good. He will be lead back in New England this year. It's just... Hopefully, Bill Belichick will give him more than 12 carries a game. Uh, he's a, I just, I, he's his floor is safe because he's the lead back there, and he will always command, I think, 10 to 15 touches. So it's a safe floor. I just don't think the guy is very good. But with the opportunity there, I mean, he's 24. I mean, why not? Why, why wouldn't you draft him? Why wouldn't you have him on your roster? Even for someone who doesn't like him, like me, prove me wrong. And, well, he has nothing to prove to me, but in a fantasy standpoint, prove me wrong. Like, oh, shit, oh, I'm an idiot. I should have been higher on Damon Harris. Yeah, get him on my starting lineup. Okay, that's it. Well, I'm glad you admitted that he is the RB1 because I think that's a question in a lot of people's mind is, is he the RB1 over Sony Michelle? It worked out last year that both of them were banged up, and there was only actually two games where they both played together for the entire game, weeks 13 and 14 against both L.A. teams. And in those two games, Damian Harris, 27 carries. In those two games, Sony Michelle, 17 carries. So it wasn't particularly close. Damian Harris was getting the majority of the snaps. And as far as your point on the receiving game, of course he didn't catch the ball because Cam Newton didn't throw the ball. What did he have, like eight throwing touchdowns last year? He was, he was like setting us back 30 years in professional football when it comes to passing efficiency. He, he was putting up numbers that we haven't seen in 30 years and not in a good way. He, he was he was absolutely pathetic throwing the football. The way you need time to talk about Chris Carson, I need time to rip on Cam Newton because he's never been a good thrower of the football. And now that his legs have fallen off, he brings nothing to the, Whoa, table, his legs to the table. I think it's going to be – what's that? His legs fall off? They may as well have because he's not using them anymore unless he's a yard away from the end zone falling forward with his six foot six massive Udonis frame. But <laughs> I digress about Cam Newton. He's not going to keep the job the entire season. At some point, it's going to be Mac Jones' offense. We put in Jarrett Stidham over him last year. Me and Bill Belichick, I called him up, told him, put the guy in. He's better than Cam. <laughs> he said, he we. Listened. But anyway. We. <laughs> but 
He's going to be the lead back in a run-heavy offense. When Mac Jones gets the job, not if, but when Mac Jones gets the job, he's going to be leaning heavy on his running back. Damian Harris is at the head of that. So I'm, I'm a fan of his potential. I don't think it's RB1 potential. None of the guys we're talking about down here have that potential, I don't think. But he's definitely worthy of a fantasy start if and when he starts seeing the majority of the carries in a run-heavy hopefully improved New England offense. Yeah, you're betting on upside with Damian Harris. I mean, he crested 100 yards in three of 10 games that he played last year, uh, which is pretty impressive to think about it. He's on a run-first offense, doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. New England always prioritizes offensive line. He's still young, um, and he's he outproduced, outproduced his opportunity in both the rushing and receiving game. So I think he's, he's a good bet. I mean, this late in the running back rankings, I don't think there's many other guys that have – um, the reasonable projection, projection of fantasy points that he does. So, all right, guys, that'll wrap up our rankings. We move on to our next segment, our final segment of the day, our redraft bust running backs. Okay, so these are guys you're going to get at a certain point, and we think they're getting drafted too high, and Kyle is going to start us off with a pretty spicy one. Yes, I'm coming in hot, baby. One of my favorite quotes, one of my favorite quotes from the legendary Mr. TMR himself, Matthew Berry, is that you cannot win your fantasy football draft in the first round, but you can lose it. A lot of people are going to be doing that this year when they decide to punch in Jonathan Taylor's name with a first round pick. Just made a fart noise at you. How's that feel? I I want want to digitally... I want to digitally cock smack you. And once the technology is there, <laughs> I'll have a cock it. first. Got I'm him. On it. Jonathan Taylor <laughs> is surrounded by hype right now. And notice that Shadi said going into the segment, this is a redraft busts. I think Jonathan Taylor is outstanding for dynasty purposes. Uh, personally, we talked about it last show and I ranked him number five in our rankings. So I think he's a top five dynasty back, but I don't think this is all going to culminate in 2021 where he reaches his potential. I made a lot of the points that I'm going to reiterate here in last week's show where I talked about the majority of his production came in just a small handful of games against some pretty bad teams against the Vegas Raiders and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not impressed that you're putting up numbers against these fake franchises. Okay. The fantasy community is drafting him right now as the number seven overall pick. People are panic selling Devontae Adams and worried about drafting a tight end in the first round with Travis Kelsey. I would take both those guys over Jonathan Taylor in a heartbeat. I I, I think the reason that he's going so high is a lot of people are sharing the mindset that Shadi, you've alluded to a couple times in the last couple shows is that if you're not ahead of the game, if you're not getting out in front of the competition, you're going to lose these guys. You're not going to get them. Personally, I'm going to be a guy in 2021 who has zero exposure for Jonathan Taylor because I'm just not willing to pay the premium. The few games of success that he had last year does not necessarily guarantee success moving forward. Marlon Mack is back, and don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't think Marlon Mack's commanding 100-plus even touches anymore, but he's going to eat into the early down work. Naeem Himes is still there in the late round work, and you have a brand-new quarterback behind center. Phillip Rivers is one of the most running back-friendly quarterbacks in the history of football. Now with Carson Wentz under center, we may or may not see that same sort of preference 
for the running back. So I think Jonathan Taylor yeah, well, he's probably going to have a good season. What's that? He said, no, he prefers to throw interceptions. How many points do the running backs get for picks? None? Okay, so I'll continue with my point. Jonathan Taylor, oh, I think, is going to have a solid... He's going to have a solid season, all right? I think he's definitely worth a draft pick. Me, personally, if I had it my way, I'm not taking him until at least round two. And because of that, I'm never going to get him in redraft. Jonathan Taylor, my first bust for 2021 redraft fantasy football. This guy just said he'd take Jonathan Taylor in round two. Is this guy fucking dense? Oh, my God. <laughs> that is terrible. That is a terrible take. <laughs> can't, I, are we going to make another <laughs> bet? Can we make take. another bet where I make you watch Hamilton twice? This guy's going to finish as an RB5 at least. Are you kidding me? Oh, give me that. Give me those bets. That's a Brett, give me that's a Brett that one. Bet. Brett's got to do this one because he give, feels give like Jonathan Taylor. Like I do. Give me an over Anyone under, can get it. This is an equal opportunity bet. Under. Either one of y'all can catch this. Fair <laughs> over under, he says. You know, this guy likes Vegas odds. What's a fair over under? Yeah, like so if I'm going to be RB Vegas, what? I can't bet either side of it, though. Well, no. I'm. You know he likes over odds. So what's his ADP? His ADP is seven overall, the RB6. Okay, right. so I think he finishes above RB6. over under as RB6.5, and, and I will absolutely take the over, meaning he's finishing higher than the RB6. If you, if you give me 7.5, I'll take it. I think 6 oh or 7 God. is tight. I'll take it. Are, are you going to take the Hamilton bet as well? I'll take under 7.5. Dude, we can have a viewing party on But what Disney do I get if I win? I don't care. Whatever you want, man. It doesn't matter because I'm not going to lose. We're all going to watch all Hamilton right. together and have a jolly old time. You have Yikes. to watch all seven Rocky movies. Oh, that's not even a punishment. Sign me up. <laughs> and oh, you, you have, have to watch take, Creed too. You have to take detailed notes and talk like Rocky for an entire episode. Oh, God. Bro, give me a banana and it's easy day. <laughs> that's true. Oh, God. <laughs> Once this podcast oh. pops off, that's going to be our logo for the longest time. It's going to be your face Bring it on. in Dunghae, Korea, swollen to hell. It's going to be great. Oh, hey, Dunghae. Good for you for remembering what the hell that little city was called. Yeah, that place <laughs> I sucks. couldn't remember either. Dunghae, yeah, that place is not. Ideal. Hey, Shoddy, who's the next bust? The next bust is J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins is getting drafted as RB12. And we kind of dove into him quite a bit already, but I'm going to go over the wave tops to give you my biggest concerns. Said it already, 51st in targets, 52nd in receptions, 30th in routes run. Even when he's out in the route tree, he's not getting targeted. They brought in Rashad Bateman, who I think is the second best wide receiver in that draft. I think he's going to command a lot of targets on an already low-volume passing offense. Lamar hasn't shown the propensity to throw the ball to the running back a ton. He still has Gus Edwards to compete against. I don't think he's going to get a ton of red zone work. All that combined makes me think that he's not worth a top 12 running back pick, and I have about five backs that I would take ahead of him that are uh, drafted after him. So it might be a little nitpicky to call him a bust because I still think he's a good RB2, but I'd be terrified if he's my RB1, and that's where he's being drafted as your first back. Whether you're at the turn or at like 10 or 11, if you take – J.K. Dobbins there, I think you're taking a huge risk. And like Kyle said, you can lose your, your league in the first round. If you take J.K. Dobbins and some of these concerns uh, rise to the top, I mean, you're looking at a really tough running back um, situation for the rest of your fantasy season. So don't get him early. If he falls, dive on the value. But do not take him in the first round. Do not take him in the early second round. I think I agree. There, there's too much value in the draft to, to, to get – 
that early in the draft, I mean, just wait on it. He has too many concerns. He's great in Dynasty. I love him in Dynasty. Just redraft, do not take him as RB12. I agree with just about everything you said there. Uh, for anyone listening, I, I think I'm understanding what you're saying, but when we call J.K. Dobbins a bust at number 12, he's probably being drafted at his ceiling, which I think is the point that you were trying to make, and I would absolutely agree with that. I think somewhere around that low-end RB1, high-end RB2 is the J.K. Dobbins ceiling. But like I said when we were talking about him, I think he does come with a high floor as well. I think pretty much anywhere in the RB2 spectrum is within his range of possibility. That being said, I am probably drafting him as a mid-range RB2, I'm not drafting him where he's going right now as RB12. That's too rich for me. If if he's going somewhere in the second round, I'm I'm completely out. In the third round, maybe I think about it with my build, but I'm really not comfortable with JK and redraft until at least round four. Yeah, um, round four is really late, but I agree with both of you, like, to a T. You said the second half of what I wanted to say, but so I don't have to say anything. <laughs> All right, Devin, run us into your first RB bust. Um, I talked about it earlier. Josh Jacobs, it's a pretty obvious bust. I think he's like going as RB10, and it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, John Gruden dismantled that offensive line, trading away Travis Hudson, their starting center, and Gabe Jackson, one of the starting guards. Like, what are you doing? And then he brings in, like we talked about, Kenyon Drake to be a slot receiver, quote unquote. Like, he's put in a bad predicament. He's a pretty. D, I don't know. Decently talented running back with great volume, but his predicament is just fucking garbage, man. Um, and John Gruden obviously has done him no favors. I think he's he's good enough to command a decent draft pick, but to go as RB10, that's, again, at the turn. I'm not picking Josh Jacobs in the first round, and I'm not picking him in the second round. If you could pair Josh Jacobs, like, let's say you picked early, so you picked Dalvin Cook third overall, and Josh Jacobs there at the end of the second I wouldn't even take him at the end of the second because I would want to pick a receiver. But if he's there beginning the third, that'd be awesome. You could have, you know, your Delvin Cook, Josh Jacobs, and a, a really good receiver. I think that's a, a good start to your draft. But going to RB10 for everything that's happened to him, and it's not even anything he's done. It's what's happened around him. That's just that's just disgusting. That's way too early for a guy whose situation is just destroyed. Yeah, everything we said about J.K. Dobbins, I think you could extrapolate and move that to Josh Jacobs as well. He's being draft probably not at his ceiling, but even above his ceiling. I'm taking J.K. Dobbins before I take Josh Jacobs. What about you two? I think there's a there's an argument for both, but yeah, I'd probably take Dobbins ahead. But either way, I don't want either one of them as my RB1. All right, uh, Kyle, you're next. Who you got? Yeah, I alluded to it earlier when we were going over him, so this will be short and sweet. But David Montgomery is another bust of mine. I don't like him in Dynasty. I think this is the time to trade if you are an owner. And in redraft, I'm probably staying away. I'll, I'll say that he is probably a safe zero RB target if you can get him in the late rounds. The thing is, I don't think he's fallen to round five, round six, or later, which is where I think is where he probably should be valued. With Tariq Cohen coming back, his receiving game is going to slide. The offense should be better, but his efficiency can't really get better than what it was last year. Uh, he's not going to be gifted. So the AFC North and the NFC North have the hardest schedules in the league this year based on strength of schedule of last year's finishes. It's like in order, one through seven, other than the Cleveland Browns, who somehow luck into the third place schedule in spite of how good they were last year. Uh, the number one through number seven hardest schedules in the league belong to the NFC North and the AFC North. 
So David Montgomery is not necessarily going to get that cakewalk of a schedule down the stretch where he gets to beat up on all these tough opponents. And because of that, I, I think he's going to come way down to earth, and I think it's going to be difficult for anyone who's forced to start him on a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah, so David Montgomery, you know, in redraft, if, if you were to just, you know, be a casual fantasy player and look at who finished where last year, I mean, he finished RB4. So he finished RB4, and a casual fantasy player is going to see that and be like, yep, taking him in the second round. And that's that's crazy to me. Obviously, don't take him in the second round. So that's a good call, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. Sorry, I was like my brain died. Um. I agree. I I think David Montgomery in redraft. If you could get him as your flex play, that'd be fantastic. Will he be there when you want to pick your flex? No, he won't. So don't reach on David Montgomery. Even though I'm the one that's really high on him, I st- I still have a brain, and I'm still gonna value certain players and positions over an RB2 that would be David Montgomery for me. But no, I will wait on my RB2 because I like this guy's situation. Let's say, well, he's not going to be there, but let's say it was like Najee Harris or David Montgomery and you need another running back, well, I'm going to pick Najee Harris um, because of the talent. So, yeah, I like I like that as a bust potential. Perfect segue into my next bust, who is, in fact, Najee Harris. So I think we're in uh, the rookie love affair season, and Najee Harris is getting his value pumped up. Um, in Dynasty, I do like, I do, I would love to have Najee Harris in Dynasty, but in redraft, I brought up the the concerns I have. They're still relying on an older, busted quarterback and a poor offensive line. And if things don't break right, if one thing bad happens, they have one injury to the offensive line or one injury to a top pass catcher. And teams are going to load the box. And Najee Harris, I don't think his his talent is suitable to overcome that, especially as a rookie. I mean, running back is one of the easier translatable positions from college to NFL. But his skill set is more of a bruiser, short area quickness, running back. He's not the kind that's going to hit a hole at 100 miles an hour and break a 40-yard run. He's going to get contact in the backfield a lot. I mean, he's not in an easy division to run the ball. He's got four games against, uh, I should say, four games against tough defenses, two games against the Bengals, and, you know, the Bengals are the Bengals. But I think his volume is going to be there to be an RB2, but if you're taking him as the 13th overall running back, you're getting him in the second round most likely as your first running back. If you can get him as your second running back, I like it. But if you're getting him as your first running back, that scares the shit out of me. So, I would uh, I would call what him round a bust for that. Do you think you take him in third round? What round do you think you take him? You take I him take, in the third? Yeah, I take him in third round, and and that's that's coming from a guy who's totally going to draft a running back in the first round. If I'm in the top six, if I'm in that back six of the first round, I might not take a running back in the first, but I'm definitely going to take one in the second. So he'll be my third. He'll be my second running back at the highest. I think if you get him in the third round, you're ecstatic. I think in most drafts, he's probably going to go in round number two which I think is pretty fitting as high as I am on Najee in dynasty. I'm probably even a little higher on redraft because I don't know what the future is of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know who they add to that running back room. I don't know who their quarterback of the future is. And at this point, probably no one does, but I think Najee at least for 2021 has the entire backfield to himself. And I think the floor is somewhere around 225, maybe 250 carries 
and anything that you get in the receiving game is a plus. But I think that ceiling is somewhere around the 300 carry mark. And I know that's a lot for a rookie, which is why that's probably the highest it's going to get. But any running back who's commanding that amount of touches is going to be fantasy relevant. And I, th- I think his bust situation or his bust scenario is probably a mid to low range RB2. I don't think there's a scenario where we see him bust where he's out of the fantasy picture altogether. I think he's still a safe play. And I think what you said is accurate, where if you can get him as an RB2, you're excited. I just think a lot of situations, you're going to see him go around the top of the second to one of those teams who decides to go with a Travis Kelsey or a Devontae Adams in the first round. They come back around and get Najee in round number two. Yeah, I mean, I I know I'm on the outside of uh, typical fantasy thought here. A lot of people have him as a locked and loaded RB2. Set it and forget it. I have a few more concerns than most people, and it might come back to bite me. But I just think there's too much hype around him right now, and that's going to drive his price up way higher than than I think it should be. Um, but to answer your question, the quarterback of the future in Pittsburgh is Dwayne motherfucking Haskins. Don't say it. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> I'm on that Dwayne Haskins train, too. <laughs> I'm not actually oh on that God. train. I'm just fucking around. Yeah, we're memeing. Please, um, trans- please transition to our next running back. Uh, almost, Let's almost. Let's not talk I'll, about Dwayne Haskin. I'll make a quick point. One, my roommate brought a, brought a chocolate frosty downstairs to me just now, so that's a cute, fun little surprise. Stop like, talking about food. <laughs> I, I can't. It's in front of me. It's like great surprise. If he I doesn't like you, chocolate. I would so. think you're like 350 pounds. Right? I'm, I'm getting there, dude. Uh, <laughs> Naja Harris. So, yeah, I wouldn't want him as my RB1. If I'm picking uh, in a 12-team draft, Redraft. I'm picking 11. Uh, I'm picking receiver on the way back. I'm picking receiver again. I'm not picking Najee Harris um, as my RB1, and I'm not picking him in the early second round. I'll stack receivers before I pick Najee Harris. Um, everything to Kyle's point, though, I think he's uh, the talent's there, the volume's going to be there. Um, it's not that I don't like him, and it's not that I'm afraid of drafting him. I just rather stack receivers than pick Najee Harris. Um, where, again, though, Josh, Josh Jacobs uh, syndrome. Where if you pick early and you can get him in the third, which he might be there if you draft with some weird people, then I would pick Najee as my RB2, but not as my RB1. So I I, I understand that point. Okay, my last bust is going to be a big name, a a league winner for this guy named Michael Ezernick in our league. Elvin Kamara. Why is he a bust? Because he's going RB4 and 104 overall. But again, why is he a bust? He's Elvin Kamara. He's... Fantastic. He's a PPR machine. Well, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback. It's the first time in his career, minus last year, where there's just uncertainty. And where there's uncertainty at the most important position in probably all of sports, I, I'm just a little unsure because of the value this guy has in PPR formats. Um, he's Obviously, he's going to get his carries, but he makes his money in catching the ball and being the all-purpose yards guy and the touchdown machine. Uh, last year, between uh, between weeks 11 and 14, when he did have a different quarterback, and it was Taysom Hill, he was RB11 in, in half-point PPR formats. Uh, I know we do full PPR here, but it's just a fun stat I found. RB11 isn't bad, but for fourth overall pick, you're picking a guy who ends up being an RB11. Well, your RB2 that you end up picking better be damn good. You better hit on that running back. That's the only reason why he's a bust, because... You're picking with a lot of risk at 104, and that guy being Elvin Kamara. And if he's not finishing as a top three running back, well, you're probably not going to win your league because your first pick was someone who ends up finishing outside the top 10, even outside the top 15, 
because of the new situation. What if the Saints just aren't good? What if the Saints' offense just is terrible? What's Alvin Kamara going to look like? Again, I think he's an uber-talented player, and I think he's super good, but week-to-week basis, we're going to see, I think, a lot more. Instead of the consistent 25, 30, 30, 30, 40 point week from him, it's going to be more like 22, 11, 8, 30, 21. It's going to be more up and down. That's why he's a bust. Uh, One of four, it's way more risky than it's ever been for him. The Saints are coming off a season when they just won 12 games with 12 and four, and they won the NFC South, which means, unfortunately for them, they have to play a a first-place schedule in the NFC. So they're going to go play Green Bay, and they're going to go play L.A. won the West, right? L.A. and Seattle were right there neck and neck. Uh, Seattle won won the West. Seattle oh, shit. So Seattle. Okay. Yeah, we hosted the Rams and we lost. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, and then they're going to get the Washington football team as well. So the first place schedule isn't going to do any do them any favors. They're going to have to play that, and they're going to have to do it without their quarterback for the last uh, dozen, dozen and a half years, one of the all-time greats, Drew Brees. The quarterback they're going to have under center is still a question mark. It's either going to be Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. Neither one of those is going to be an upgrade over what Drew Brees was for Alvin Kamara. Jameis Winston, if he earns the job, is definitely known more as the gunslinger, the guy who had the 30 and 30 year, the go downfield threat. That's why he's so fantasy relevant is because he's almost Brett Favre-esque. He's either going to win the game or he's going to die trying. But while Favre won more than he lost, Jameis dies more than he wins. The other side of that coin is if Taysom Hill is the starter. And if Taysom Hill is the starter, you now have a tight end as your starting quarterback. So... The ceiling of 80-plus catches for Kamara that we've seen every single year out of him, I I don't think is his ceiling anymore. I think that he's going to take a hit in the receiving game no matter who wins the job, and he's never had enough volume as a rusher to make himself a high-end RB1 on its own. So, fantasy points per game, where do you see Alvin Kamara finishing, Kyle? As far as running backs? Yeah. So, McCaffrey, Cook, Barkley, I take all them. Format dependent, I'll take Derrick Henry in full PPR. I may lean Kamara there, but I'd probably take Derrick uh, Derrick Henry in standard and in half point. I'd probably take Zeke, and Nick Chubb is very close. That's one where if I have multiple leagues at the same spot, half of them I'm taking Kamara, half of them I'm taking Chubb just to get some diversity there. So somewhere around the RB6, RB7 range. Gotcha. What about you, Devin? Um... Without, I'm trying to do quick maths in my head without saying a bunch of names here. Um, Boom. Two plus two is four. Minus one, that's three. Quick maths. <laughs> uh, obviously, like Cook, McCaffrey, Barkley, no order. Cook, McCaffrey, Barkley, Chubb, um, Aaron Jones, even Ezekiel Elliott. Um, all guys I think would finish higher than Kamara. Derrick Henry would finish, will finish higher than Kamara. Um, and you're always going to have outliers in there, too. You're going to have those yep. guys who right now we're ranking as low-end RB1s, high-end RB2s, who jump up with its top-five season. Uh, half the time, it's a receiving back where we see like the season Danny Woodhead Danny Woodhead finishes as the RB3. I don't know. James White has had that season before. It's all It always happens. Yeah. Um, where I would end up drafting him would be probably around like RB right, right around the top 10. Yeah, RB9, RB10. You're gonna obviously pick wow. him before anybody in the in the AFC West. You're gonna pick him before anybody anybody in the NFC West. But if there's just more question marks, not ahead me. of Chris Carson. 
Of course, out of Chris Carson. I mean, he'll be a top 12 PPR back for sure, oh but... Oh, God. I can't wait to make you use those words. <laughs> Just wait. If he gets hurt, I'm fucked. Did, Just did they pass him in Google or something? Can you play in a full body cast? Did I miss that? Um, yes, you missed it. All right, so then Chris Well, no, if that's the case, now Rashad Penny is the RB1 for Seattle. <laughs> oh, yeah, good joke, brother. <laughs> I wish, but he is my sleeper, okay? He is my sleeper. All right, boys, that'll do it. Episode four now. And we're really flying with these episodes. It's, it's, it's starting to get in the full swing. I feel like we're all getting pretty comfortable talking about all this stuff. Kyle's throwing out lukewarm takes left and right. Oh, I'm sorry. Who who was your bust? You picked like what the RB thirteen and fourteen. I put Jonathan Taylor. I put my name on Jonathan Taylor bust. And, and what did you say before we hit the record button? Oh, I don't know, man. I might change it. Oh. <laughs> that was before you pressed, dude. You can't say that. <laughs> All right. Say goodbye to. I told you that in the confidence, listeners. That was a confession. Get the gun from her! Put the gun down! Mother! This is the real world, lady! You can't just go shooting people on a whim! Why does Grandma have a gun? What did you do? I told you that incompetence. That was a confession. What are you talking about? Uh, these are my confessions. Just when I thought I said all I could say, my chick on the side said she got one in the way. That's it. I'm I was gone. worried that we weren't going to have any <laughs> audio clips for me to put in, and we're just not going to uh, all out in the final 30 seconds. Uh, we're good at this. Uh, yeah, Devin Spawn, Despawn 3D, and Twitter. Uh, I'd be tweeting hood rat stuff, a.k.a. memes and depressing sad boy things because my life sucks. Devin, put them on the brand. What do you What do you follow the podcast at? You can follow us on Twitter as an us as the podcast Fan- fantasy flexicution podcast on Twitter or FF in capital lexicution please give us a follow I, I retweet stuff out of that I follow people out off that thing uh, I, we're going to be more active I know it's only May so it's a little slow but the Twitter will be way more active with more episodes pumping out um, yeah we're just getting started so hop on the bandwagon brother master debater Yep, good voice. work, fellas. Deuces minus one. Hey. I don't know what to do. I guess I gotta keep part two of my